And we're back at it. I'm Gervier Bra. I'm here with Chamakar Sandu, and we are screened off script. This week, we're getting into the new Falcon and Winter Soldier and everything TV and movies. Folks, it's showtime. Welcome to the 93rd Oscars. All right, so, Chamak, we're back. Usually, we start off by talking about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This is the finale week, but we just had the Oscars. Yep. It just happened this week. I feel like this would be a great time to talk about that. If you do want to skip around, if you do want to go to Falcon and Winter Soldier, if you want to hear the news stories later on, we got timestamps in the description below. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe. But uh, yeah, can we start off with the Oscars, Jamath? Absolutely. I mean, it was interesting because, look, worst ratings in Oscar history. History. Right? But at the same time, no one went to the cinema for a year. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of like correlated in a, in yeah. a way, right? I mean, I mean, I think the biggest kind of takeaway from this year's Oscars is the fact that Netflix came in to Sunday night with 36, 36 nominations, far more than any other studio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they actually ended up be- becoming the biggest winners of the night. Netflix yeah. you know, brought home a total of of seven total trophies yeah so a big moment for netflix but that kind of just tells you what it was like this past year with regards to streaming services and delays of some major movies that are going to come out eventually mm-hmm. but overall it was i guess interesting to see the ceremony in a very different way it wasn't one of my favorites i'm not gonna lie yeah because i only watch clips i watched like a highlight of right. everything right yeah. you watched the entire show i did so i need to hear your opinion on the entire show because from what i can gather uh even just watching clips honest to god i was so bored look i'm not gonna lie first of all when you have someone like ricky gervais opening the show um in other award ceremonies and things of that nature yeah I miss that. Like I, yeah. I remember on Sunday that old clip mm-hmm. of the Ricky Gervais monologue yeah. from a, a year or two ago was from doing the, the rounds Globes, again yeah. from the Golden Globes, and I'm like, man, that's what you want. That's what I. That's what I want. A hundred percent. In in an award ceremony, just have a comedian that can come come in, set the tone, make fun of the industry a little bit, yes. and not let it be too serious. Yeah, there's the, plenty of moments for the show to be serious. The big thing is like this used to be a platform for comedians to like really have a, like a, something for topical humor. Yeah, like not something they have to have in their catalog. This is just a one-off. This is hilarious for this moment, and it was great because it, it it really like brought down some of the gravitas that kind of weighs down the Oscar sometimes. Yeah, uh, but this year it felt like. There was none of that. Yeah. Was there any comedy? Like, I didn't see one funny clip from the entire show. Maybe in some speeches. Uh, the Brad Pitt thing with the, the actors from Minari was hilarious, but yeah. that's about it. No, it was, there, wasn't, there wasn't too many scripted um, comedic moments that I can recall. You, you know, it was also weird, because if you think about it, like, this is the one year. Obviously, there's not, like, a huge audience, and uh, obviously, it's, like, COVID and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you had the opportunity to maybe even do, like, a whole sketch-based show. Yeah. You could have done, like, a whole entire show where you could have you know, pimped out everybody from your network. They have Jimmy Kimmel and like all these different people from ABC and they could have just made a whole show just with sketches that kind of weave throughout the entire show. Right. But yet they decided to completely go away from comedy. And and I think that hurt the show so much. It did. I mean, again, like I said, you know, the worst ratings of all time. For me, I think the biggest two takeaways for me were to see Daniel Kaluuya. 
Yeah. Uh, win Best Supporting Actor yeah. uh, for his role in Judas and the Black Messiah. Well deserved. Well deserved. We did like a whole review on that if you haven't checked it out. But like, man, what a fantastic role and a fantastic portrayal by him. Yeah. And just because he's a fellow Londoner, I was yeah. like really happy for him. Big up to London. And uh, I think the other big takeaway for me was the fact that typically Best Picture is the one that ends the show. Mm-hmm. And they made a decision to give out that award towards the end, but not right at the end. And then you're thinking, and again, I'm just thinking as a viewer, okay, that's an interesting choice. Why have they done that? All right, so Nomadland wins for Best Picture. Cool. That was, they were the favorites to win Mm. by by the odds makers. Then I'm like, all right, what's left? All right, so you got Best Actress and you got Best Actor. And Chad Bozeman is one of the nominees for Best Actor. And the very last award they hand out is Best Actor. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, wow, they're really going to go for a real high note here. Because obviously the producers of the Oscars know who have won all of these awards. So they, you know, obviously put together a running order of which awards are going to, you know, dish out when. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, this is great. This is great booking. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. They're going to they're gonna go out on a, on a really high note. They're going to give Chadwick Boseman a posthumous Oscar and that's going to end the show, right? Yeah. And then it's kind of so weird because not only does he lose, but they give it to Anthony Hopkins, who's not even present to give an acceptance speech, yeah. and then the show just ends. It was such a flat end to the show and everyone's like, "What the hell just happened there?" Yeah. It was mad weird. You know, today actually there was a a, a report that came out Rob Mills, an ABC executive, actually said that the ending for best actor was a calculated risk. And he said it paid off because everyone was talking about it. I fucking hate when execs oh my talk God. about it. Like, they talk about this stuff as if it's just interactions on social media. And right. It's like, dude, I get that you want to be talked about, but you're still an award show that happens every single year. Do you want me to come back when you're just going to keep like, drudging out this bullshit every single fucking right. year? Right. It's so annoying because it obviously feels... That, that's actually my thought process right after the fact anyways because it felt, number one, intentional because they wanted a moment to go viral on social media. Yeah. The Chadwick Boseman would have gone viral if it had happened. But even, like, for my thought process, that would have been kind of a bummer to end up on, mm. right? Because, like, it, it's, it's somebody who passed away and you kind of just are left with that impression where, as when Heath Ledger had won for Joker, that was in the middle of the show and you kept going on, which was a great moment. Well, this goes back to my point, right? It's like, why change the running order? Yeah. Why not just keep it to how you've always kept it? Which Absolutely. Is, which, is, which is what I actually prefer. I think the biggest award of the night is Best Picture, yeah. right? Because that's the culmination of everyone behind the scenes, the 100%. filmmakers, the producers, the actors, screenwriters, and it's a collective, yo, your movie won Best Picture of the Year. Yeah. That should be the final award, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like watching a fight and like a fight card and like, what, we're not going to put the title at the end? Like right. the title fight main events, like that's what it should be every exactly. single time. Yeah. But I think one thing that's really stuck in these executives' head is the thing that happened a few years ago with La La Land and Moonlight, where they had that controversial finish, right? and that was like viral for so long after the fact. Yeah. And I think they're always trying to capture some shit like that. And that was like an accidental mistake, but it made sense like that it did go viral. This was like so contrived, and it just felt so transparent that they're they don't they didn't give a shit about the actual esteem of the awards even though the whole show was so serious the entire time and here's the thing about moments that go viral when it's unplanned when it's organic those moments will just happen yeah you can't force that you can't manufacture it and if you're giving an interview like the one you cited where they're clearly changing the running order because they think that the end result will help the show leave on a massive talking point. When that kind of stuff comes out, like you said, as a viewer, it's like, well, 
what's the point of me tuning in if you're just going to try and program this award ceremony every year just to try to incite some sort of like emotional reaction out of me just let it play out the way it's going to play out if there's some good moments some bad moments some sad moments some happy moments some funny moments that's fine that's what the awards are all about if you're just looking for a moment to go viral, why am I watching the show in the first place? I'll right. just wait for the moment to go viral and I'll just watch it online. Yeah. There's no point of that. Award shows already have been like going downhill for years now. Yeah. Like this has been very boring. I remember growing up and being very excited about number one, the comedy monologue. Yes. And, and number two, like they would have a performative element. It's like, it's an award show. So the award element obviously is not going to be there, but the entertainment show aspect of it it feels completely gone to me. Yeah. Ever since like that whole situation happened with Kevin Hart and then like really uh, shying away from having an actual host yeah. has really hurt these shows, I think. they If you want to like dance around the politics and all that kind of stuff, that's cool, but you got to figure something else out because yeah. this shit ain't working. 100%. I agree. Um, I, I think number one, you got to you gotta actually have some comedy in there, have a host that actually weaves the whole show together and, and make it feel like an actual show, like an actual entertaining show because people aren't sitting around waiting for their award to be called. We're just watching as consumers who want to be entertained. The only one part, the one segment that I personally enjoyed, mm -hmm. and I can't remember his name from the top of my head, but it's Daniel Kaluuya's co-star from Get Out. And they kind of have that little reunion where he's going around with the microphone mm. and they're getting the DJ to play a song. And he's going around to, you know, Glenn Close, Daniel Kaluuya, and I think one or two others just basically, hey, was this song an award nominee, an award winner, da 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 da. And I thought that whole moment that was obviously sketched out and planned, yeah. that worked. That worked really, really well. And I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. But that's like the one kind of like bright spark moment from the entire awards ceremony that really got a, an emotional reaction out of me when I, was, when I was genuinely like laughing and smiling and happy about that 10 minute segment. Uh, other than that, it felt like a very flat show. Yeah. Obviously, like I said, they need to figure something else out. And like like I said, this is the year where you didn't have to be constricted to the stage and they didn't use their space. Yeah. They had a whole field they could have used and they didn't use any of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I wonder, now that this is out there as like the worst ratings in Oscar history, do they really have a hard look at themselves going into 2022's ceremony? Where hopefully in a year from now, things are back to normal. There's tons of movies to talk about that have been released in the theatres. And they've yeah. had their theatre run and they've had their run on DVD and on demand and all that kind of stuff. And do they go back to, you know, everything that we like about these awards ceremonies? Which is like you just said, an opening, you know, opening monologue from a, a comedian. I remember growing up, Steve Martin, Billy Crystal. There's been some classic comedians that have done some fantastic, you know, stand-up work, you know, and opened these shows. Yeah. And also not just opening the show, but they're able to improv on the fly as the award ceremony you know, plays out and there's maybe a, a moment they can jump on and you love that kind of stuff. Absolutely. One of my favorite moments in the history of Hollywood is when uh, <laughs> Ricky Gervais said, I like a drink as much as the next man, unless that me next man is Mel Gibson. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mel Gibson. <laughs> it was amazing. It's like that, I, I know that's your word for word because of how good that that's was. That's great. It's such a great line. But yeah. it's like, yeah, somebody that sharp and that quick-witted can come up with this kind of shit yeah. off the cup and it really, really works. Honestly, at this point, I feel like the Oscars are just like curating good movies for me to watch. All right, when Best Picture, like the nominations come out, I get excited because I can watch those movies. I know it's going to be quality. Yeah. But aside from that, it feels like there's very little value in either who wins these awards yeah. or, or even the actual award ceremony itself. They've definitely got some work to do. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens this time next year because right now they are on a downward spiral. Absolutely. Um, but man, 
Uh, I, I feel like we just complained for like five minutes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like let's talk about something a little bit more positive. Yes. Why don't we go into episode six of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier titled One World, One People. I'm sorry, wait. Who are you? Captain America. Captain America was on the moon. You know, the season finale. This is the closer of the second offering from Disney+. Plus. What did you think of the episode? I think it just gave us everything that we were kind of expecting. Mm-hmm. The whole show was geared towards Sam, the Falcon, becoming Captain America. Yeah. And this final episode literally starts with him being introduced in his new getup, in his new outfit, given to him from uh, the Wakandans via uh, Bucky. He's got his new outfit, he is Captain America. So when one of the security guards asks him, hey, who are you? He even says, hey, I'm Captain America. There's other moments throughout the episode where there's bystanders that are kind of filming him. I think one guy says, oh, that's Black Falcon. And yeah. uh, another dude says, no, 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 no. That's Captain America. So they kind of really kind of hit it home. Yeah. And we got there, you know? And even as the, the, the episode you know closes, the closing titles are, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. So yeah, we got there in the end, and I feel like it's 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 great. Listen, we got a Black Captain America, and I think that this show, especially with the Isaiah um, storyline built as a, built into it, was brilliant. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, I feel like uh, number one, obviously, the intention was completely just to get Sam over, almost yeah. like the same way WandaVision was to get to the point where you're Scarlet Witch. Yeah. This was to get. A brand new Captain America. Yeah, uh, I thought the fight scenes were really dope. I thought it, it was cool because it basically was like a whole show or a whole episode where it was just showing us, hey, this is what the new suit can do. So that was like a cool like exhibition of what th- he's gonna be capable of in the future. Yeah, really shows that he is capable of like number one fighting super soldiers, being a part of an actual battle, even though he's not a super soldier himself. Uh, that's what I was like felt like it held Falcon back as a character. It's funny because this new Captain America now doesn't have serum in him yeah. he is so reliant on his suit almost like Tony was with the Iron Man suit yeah 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 and I'm, I'm okay with that yeah. I think I think that's like a cool twist to like what the whole Captain America story really is because now it really feels like he's a pull up your yourself by your bootstraps kind of guy right who's like he's obviously working with a super suit but he's still working with his effort yeah um, I also love the team up of Falcon, Winter Soldier, John Walker. I really loved, obviously, the interactions with Sam and Isaiah, but I do think there were a lot of lulls in this episode. I, I think agree. it really does speak more to the series more than specifically this episode, and we'll get into all that in just a second, but the last thing I want to just quickly get into, just to start everything off, is this was the worst-reviewed episode on Rotten Tomatoes for the series. Uh, the other episodes, the lowest it's ever been reviewed was 85%. This one right now is clocked in at 64%. Part of me obviously thinks we walked into this show with an expectation. At the end, we've got what we wanted from the expectation, but nothing else on top of that, I felt. I didn't get anything. Like, There's no cherry on top for me. Like right. The show is very much, you wanted Captain America to come out of the show, and that's all I got. Uh, can we just talk about what it means to finally have Sam as Captain America? Because I think the biggest accomplishment of the show is that they made me actually care about a new Captain America. I'll tell you what. I like it, you like it, we, we love this. Can you imagine if you are a, a black person in America mm-hmm. right now, whether you're eight, 24, 30, how, whatever, whatever you know, age you are, and you're a fan of the MCU, and you're, you're watching this show play out, how awesome yeah. do you think those people feel 
when you see that kind of representation yeah. on a big franchise like the MCU come to fruition. Yeah. Like for for our perspective, it's like there isn't any Indian superhero in the MCU <laughs> right now. But tell you what, it would feel pretty damn cool if that were to happen one day. You know, we we live in a very diverse city and area here in in Toronto and Canada in itself. It is very very diverse. But when you see, you know, someone that looks like you comes from a similar background to you, yeah. make it in these different industries and really get that push, it it, it hits home. Yeah. So you just have to feel like, you know, everyone that's an African American that's watching this show right now must have felt so good about seeing what they did. Absolutely. And on, on top of that, it feels like they really handled the Sam really well in this episode. Like, yeah. like you mentioned before, the idea that people are watching him save everybody. Like, basically, where the Captain America that was portrayed by John Walker was like wherever he failed this one already succeeded yeah publicly he's already a hero he's already taking ownership of Captain America to the point where you don't really question it and plus when he's talking to the government officials at the same time he's talking to the media obviously he's not aware of that at the time but like you know he's saying these really kind of like uh, meaningful lines he's like yo I'm a black man mm -hmm. representing the stars and stripes how do you yeah. think I feel yeah absolutely like that whole speech was like number one I think the heart and like the morality of this show was completely carried by Sam right. and that relationship that he has with Isaiah Bradley and that relationship that he has with America as it pertains to being black was so heavily weighted on his shoulders mm -hmm. the whole like, the show either worked or it didn't completely on Sam's shoulders um, and I think they really knocked it out of the park on that aspect alone, right? And I think Falcon basically not like dismissing what the Flag Smashers were talking about and incorporating their ideals into, like, because understanding that perspective is important. And I like that he incorporated something like that. And I love that Isaiah basically gave him that cosign and was said that he was proud of him and thought he was special. Like, all of that really enca encapsulates why Sam. And as Captain America is such a special character, yep. I think he's gonna be a really special character going forward. Yep. One question I do have is, what do you think of the suit? Could have been better. <laughs> could have been. Could have been better. And I tell you what, I think it's more to do with the fitting. There were some moments where I'm like, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at his suit, and there's like wrinkles and crumples mm. in it, and I'm like, that's not like a fitted suit. Get this guy a tailor. Let's figure <laughs> this the whole damn thing out. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, look, it, it's a identical representation of what the suit looked like in the comic books. Yeah. Right. So they kind of ticked that off. But I feel like they could have done a better job with it. And I feel like when we see him again, whether it's in a movie or if it's in another TV show, that they refine the suit. I, I think hope they better. do, because for me, that suit wasn't cool. No. It wasn't cool. It looks like a toy, which I get you want to sell toys. That's like your whole thing. Right. But like for me... It looks like someone swallowed an American flag and threw it up on an eagle. Yeah. And, like, that's what that suit ended up becoming. Uh, the fact that it's vibranium is, like, the only pass it really gets. Yeah. But other than that, uh, there's a lot of room for improvement there. I agree. Uh, and they probably will improve it. Because every time there was a new, move, like, an Iron Man movie or whatever, there was always, like, a new suit. Yeah. And, you're, and to your point, they're going to want to sell merchandise and action figures. So there's going to be various iterations of this new Captain America suit on set. Absolutely. And, like... You know the whole the, the idea of the suit is really cool. Like the the, the wings look really cool with the shield yep. and all that looks really dope. It's just the color scheme looks almost like it's just too in your face. Like yeah. let's just tone it down a little bit, make it a little bit more subtle, make it look cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. things are about to get weird. So when they do, we're not gonna need a Captain America. We're gonna need 
a U.S. agent. But what do you think of now that we're finally at that point where we have John Walker, where now he's become the U.S. agent, what impression are you left with with John Walker? You know, I didn't really like his final few lines. Yes, yes, I'm back. He, he almost seems like a petulant child at times with how he reacts to moments. This is meant to be a decorated mm-hmm. you know, member of the army that's had all these kind of you know, medals of honor, has been through so many wars. And I don't know if it's the serum, I don't know, but I feel like the portrayal mm. left a lot to be desired overall. I'm, I'm, you know what? I find that interesting only because uh, the idea of John Walker is that his like the his validation and the the way he views himself is so based on getting that external validation from the US government. Right. So the fact that he lost that, he lost his sense of identity and you can see him going to a really dark place. Now that he feels like he finally got like that a little bit back, right. you can see how like giddy he is because his personality ever since he was basically a teenager was being part of this US government, or like army really. I feel like he could have portrayed that and they could have portrayed that a lot differently and a better and still get the same message across. Because when he had, I think it was the, the episode four or episode five, I can't remember right now, where he's basically told, you're, you're stripped of all of your medals of honor, you're gonna get no uh, pension plan or any of, the, any of that kind of stuff, no benefits, right? Yeah. In that moment where he feels like the, the US government has betrayed him, I loved that performance. Yeah, yeah. Where he's losing it, he's so angry at the system that made him mm-hmm. and I feel like there could have been a different way to I guess write that scene how he could have performed that scene where he could have still got the idea across of him getting back and getting this new title and getting this new suit and getting this new, new identity without it coming across like mm. hey I'm back I'm back yes I'm back it's just kind of like oh, come that on, is man. really uh, correct yeah you're kind of right because like in the last episode he was really upset with the government and then all of a sudden he puts on that America suit yeah. and then he comes out with that Lincoln like quote where he says mercy beer is richer fruit than strict justice great quote but also makes it feel like alright th- was this earned right. like uh, did we get to this point where we were okay with him just acting like this yeah. uh, but I-, I still feel like him as US agent has so much promise Oh yeah, like uh, the, like he's obviously going to be connected to something greater. Yeah, where, like obviously he's connected with Val, uh, but I think that's going to lead to number one, either the Thunderbolts or maybe even like something like the Dark Avengers. Uh, that's all going to be connected because even in these scenes, he was really connected to Zemo. In ter- like they they connected them in terms of one scene we go from Zemo back to John Walker back to Zemo. Like it's like they're trying to make us make that mental connection. That, yeah, because I think they're going to be together in whatever they're gonna come into next. Right. They also mentioned the raft a few times in this series. Also, let's talk about Val because, you know, she's gonna be the head of something. We don't know what that is, but the executives did say that she's supposed to be this dark version of Nick Fury. Yeah, I mean, look, this this was the first show from the MCU that was produced, even though the schedule and when it was released was after WandaVision. I felt like there were a lot of characters and, and I guess uh, scenes and dialogue that could have been tighter. Mm-hmm. Val is one of them, in my opinion. Sure. I, I love the character. I love the introduction of the character. And I'm curious to see where we go from here. I think she, I, I, there were rumors that she was supposed to be introduced in Black Widow first. Ah, okay. Right? So I think that would have been more fleshed out. But like the little bit that we got, I feel like was strong enough to make me go, all right, cool. I'm, I'm interested to see where this is going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, going back to John Walker as US agent, even though I... I'm not the biggest fan of how his character ended in this show. The fact that we have that character at the end of the day, he's got super serum in his in his in his blood right now. All right, so he's going to be you know a formidable hero, villain, bit of both moving forward. We'll see. 
But if we've got Zemo, Val, and US Agent already as part of the, our future Thunderbolts, yeah. which is a series that we're probably going to end up getting sooner rather than later, I'm just interested to see who else ends up in the fold and how that plays out. Because look, you know, this is going to be essentially the Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, absolutely. Not only that, but it feels like Zemo. I saw this online, but Zemo at this point has become like Captain America's Loki, where like fans just love him. He's so beloved by the fans, but at the same time, like, you can't trust him, and yeah. he's still, like, this guy who's, like, this anti-hero, which is fantastic. Yeah. And at the same time, he's almost like this evil Batman, too, where he, like, obviously has his own Alfred, like, killing these Flag Smashers, and it just works. Like, I feel like the whole idea of the Thunderbolts, for me, right now, is based around how interested I am in Zemo and, and going forward to carry on his story. And I'm so glad they didn't kill him off. I'm glad that he, God. he he played a great part in this show. You know, they brought him back. He's still alive. And uh, I, I almost feel like he was like a low-key MVP of this season as well. A hundred percent. I was going to mention that later. This is like... It, it, obviously, I love Sam, what he did in this show. But if 1B is Zemo. Yeah. Absolutely crushed it. You of all people bought into that bullshit. I'm trying something different. Maybe you should do the same. Let's talk about the Flag Smashers. Let's yes. talk about Carly Morgenthau. Yep. I don't, I don't, I don't leave this show with a good taste in my mouth uh, as it regards to uh, Carly or the Flag Smashers. Yep. Right. Like the fact that Carly was a teenager, it felt like they really relied on her just being a kid to make sense of stuff that didn't really make sense sometimes. Yeah. Right. Like it's just like they, they just like, all right, cool. She was a kid. She acted erratically, and like that was like a nice little tie, like a bow being tied for them. Yeah. It wasn't satisfying for me. No, it felt flat in the end. Yeah. I think Flag Smashers, when they got introduced initially, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And they're all super soldiers. They've got serum running through mm-hmm. them. Okay, this is interesting. And then once you start to get into the political ideology of, you know, why they're doing the things they're doing and then the whole Mama Dunya and all this kind of random yeah. characters that have this emotional impact on them. And then even in the final episode, they have this scene where she's kind of almost forcing her colleagues to say one world one people it just didn't work for me it didn't work also is like she she just says like stupid stuff all the time like she by the end she was saying dumb stuff i just didn't believe him like she mentioned to bucky she was like have you ever fought for something bigger than yourself he fought in like two world wars he fought against thanos yeah what are you talking about again it doesn't make any sense really poor dialogue i think the the the, the screenwriting and the script writing to try and flesh out the, the Flag Smashers and make them formidable villains on this show and also give them some identity and a sense of purpose just completely, le- if, you know... It fizzled out. Fizzled out, yeah. It fizzled out completely. I didn't care for the Flag Smashers in the end. I was, like, happy that they were gone. Yeah. Like, even, like, when they tease at the very end where they, they had uh, them all in the truck and then right before they get blown up, it felt like, all right, cool, they're going to carry on with these characters. Maybe they'll be part of the Thunderbolt. Thank God they got blown up. Yeah, they're all Because they did not work for me at all. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Bucky before. Mm-hmm. I, I will just say, the only thing is, I don't know if I'm super satisfied with where we came out with Bucky, because he's like the second bill of the whole show. Yeah. He's the Winter Soldier, and while we did get like his reconciliation with Yuri in the end, uh, it felt like it was just okay for me, right? Like, he had his moments in the show, but he never really leveled up. I think the biggest moment for me when it comes to Bucky is well there's two moments the flashback scene of the winter soldier which we i think we got back in episode one Mm -hmm. and then the scene where he's kind of pretending to be the winter soldier in that club scene in madripoor which basically tells me i like him as a villain i like him as a winter soldier because i feel like when he's a winter soldier or he's kind of playing the winter soldier that's when he's like actually badass that's when he's actually kicking everyone's ass when he's just like normal sam 
not in Winter Soldier mode. I feel like, and this is something that you brought up, you know, early when we were starting to review this episode. It's like, yo, you're meant to be on Captain America's level in terms of how strong and powerful you are. In addition, you've got this vibranium metal arm. You yeah. should be able, you should be wiping everybody out here. And I didn't feel like they put him over as much as they could in this show. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I I really don't believe they have an intention to make him a much bigger character, and that's fine. Not everybody has to be the biggest star in the world. But it just felt like from the start of the show to where we are now, it's almost like a very small increase in interest level right. for him. Like, I, I didn't really grow or really waver too much. But one thing I will say for this episode, I, I, the one thing I liked about Bucky, he did have some sort of chemistry with John Walker. I was very, like, intrigued by how well they worked together. I've always enjoyed, you know... The, the Sam and Bucky buddy cop kind of relationship. I, yeah. prefer, I prefer that to perhaps sure. what we may get with Bucky and, and, and you know, US agent. Absolutely. He, he was, that, that relationship is definitely a highlight of the show. Yeah. And especially that last little montage we got where they're celebrating together. It was like, that was satisfying. I got like a little payoff that they're happy together and their life is a little bit better. That was nice. But it just felt like it's ter- in terms of like an actual hero, I don't know if I felt a growth from him. Yeah, and we do end the show with, like I said, the, the end credits showcasing Captain America and the Winter Soldier. So whether that's going to be the title of the next movie, whether that's going to be the title of the next series, because mm-hmm. we've talked about how this could be a series that they could replicate and do a second and third and fourth season moving forward, whether it's four episodes, five or six episodes, whatever, you know. Having Sam and Bucky as more of a, a full-on buddy cop. Now we don't need to worry about Sam becoming Captain America. Now we don't have to worry about Bucky getting over this PTSD. They've got through all that. Now let's have some fun. Yeah. Let's have these two together, getting on each other's nerves, but at the same time kicking ass and having some great action sequences. Yeah, well, we'll talk about where the show is going after the fact, but can we talk about the second post credit scene, which was Sharon Carter, basically number one, confirmed as a power broker, but now working for and simultaneously against the U.S. government at the same time. Right. I got a lot of thoughts on Sharon Carter. I want to hear what you think first. So it was what we thought the power broker might be. I was hoping that I was wrong. Because I felt like, okay, it was Sharon Carter all along. We kind of felt that. So it wasn't a big surprise yeah, yeah. when she was revealed as the power broker. Mm-hmm. And I also felt, again, this is another character that I felt like fizzled out towards the end. It was a yeah. weak end to her narrative she ends up in the US and there was this really weak scene where she's in this open car park underground car park and she just randomly happens to bump into the only other person in this car park mm-hmm. and plants this kind of explosive um, you know, serum or whatever that kind of melts the mercury face. thing the mercury thing yeah so can I say that was the only part I thought that was cool about her really that was the only thing I thought like, oh okay she's got some new little weapons she melted a dude melting a person is kind of cool all right, and yeah. uh, that's where my priest stops, because <laughs> uh, I think number one, it's like actually the next scene that we see with Sharon is basically where she manipulates Carly and she stops the flag smashers, gets her pardon, and all that kind of stuff. Kills the truck. All this like great stuff, but like uh, I'll be honest, I don't believe in Sharon Carter as a villain. Right. Like uh, she's all right, but she has obvious limitations. Yeah. Right. And and how many times are we gonna see this? very similar story with Captain America. Oh, the government's wrong. And now I'm going to get vengeance against them. Oh, wait, the, I've gone too far. Now I'm the bad guy. Oh, I've learned my lesson. Oh, what do you think Steve would think about this? You're not Steve. Like, it's always the same repetitive pattern with the Captain America stories. And it's like, yeah. at what point are we going to move on to Great something point. more interesting? Yeah. Also, like, like I said, 
Was this plot earned for Sharon Carter? I don't think it was fleshed out enough. I think they kind of spoon-fed us these little like character developments along the way, but it never felt like we got to that point where we're like, oh, yes. She's the she's the power broker. She should be the power broker. And this is where I kind of go back to you know this being the first show that Disney and the MCU have produced for Disney Plus, and you know we've been pretty you know good on giving praise to Disney and the MCU with regards to how they've handled the MCU, how they've done the world building, the movies. Overall, we really enjoyed WandaVision. Yeah. But we knew that was a self-contained show. We mm-hmm. knew that that wasn't going to get a sequel, right? Whereas and this, we knew where it was going because it's specifically to Multiverse of Madness. Exactly. Um, but the fact that this was actually produced before that kind of tells you that they're still figuring this out. Yeah. And, they, and that maybe they went a bit too far. Maybe they, they, they didn't need to include the power broker. Maybe they could have all those moments where they were trying to build up Sharon Carter as another character or another villain. They could have emphas- spent more time emphasizing on the Bucky character or the Flag Smashers or a few other bits and pieces. But... I think they were trying to do a little bit too much and with the limitation of six episodes, trying to like introduce her, get her involved and all of a sudden, bang, she's out of Madrid Port, she's back in the US and... You know what, a lot of it doesn't even make sense looking back because like Sharon Carter, like if you if you go back and look at like Endgame, she appears as one of the people that was snapped. Right. right? Or like she basically was gone during the blip but in this episode they talk about how she took in Carly during the blip and I've heard people speculating, oh, maybe she was a scroll or... Uh, this or that, like I, I don't know if that is like a satisfying, like l- like a logical answer for me. That'd be a week's worth. Yeah, I don't love that. Why? Okay, if she's a girl who can change her shape, why is she wearing that technology at the start of this episode exactly. to turn into something else? Like yeah. if she can already shape shift, I think. All right, if she's gonna be a character like this, that's fine. But I don't need her as a movie villain. If she's gonna move forward as like a, a character in like let's say Armor Wars or something like that. That's cool. If she's going to be in a Disney Plus show, I'm very okay with that. That's very in her wheelhouse. But right now, she doesn't feel like a big deal. She might feel like a big deal down the line, but at this point, she feels like a very low-stakes villain. I agree. And it's funny because like the whole series, it's like, we're obvious that Sharon's the power broker, but a small part of me was hoping it's somebody else because she doesn't have that same gravitas like somebody like Val does, in my opinion. I don't know. We'll see where she goes, but I'm not really in that. She, she ranks very low as far as uh, characters go in this series for me. Uh, but any any final conclusions for this series before we wrap it up? I th- I'm glad it was six episodes. I don't know if I would have had the appetite for any more. I'm kind of glad we kind of got where we got to with Sam becoming Captain America. And I'm hoping that if they do a second season of this or you know, we get to a movie, which we'll get to in a second, that they're able to make this a jumping off platform. Yeah. And I feel like, I hope rather, that Disney has learned a lot from the reaction to both WandaVision and this show. Because I feel like they're still testing the waters to find out how best to create shows with these MCU characters and what's working and what isn't working. And I think overall, this was good, not great. Yes, I I agree. It it did, like I said, it made me care about uh, Sam. It made me care about Zemo. I care about John Walker. I'm interested to see where he goes. And I'm still willing to give Bucky a shot. And uh, also Val, like again, these, yeah. these are these are wins. If you ask me, like yeah. all of those characters are wins. I, I'm still interested to see where Sam and Bucky's relationship really goes. But uh, aside from that, I feel like the Carly Flag Smasher, uh, Sharon situation, like all of those didn't work for me. So yeah. again, more positive than negative. So I'm still yeah. okay with it. I still enjoyed the experience that we did have with the show. Yeah. Would I go back and rewatch it? 
no. Uh, I feel like Captain America really works better. The uh, Steve Rogers version of the sh- uh, of Captain America really worked best in the Avengers movies. Right. That's where he was like his strongest. But let's see where this character really grows. As far as going forward, we already know. A week ago, actually, the executive producer of the show actually mentioned that season two was possibly going to happen. It was a quite possible, strong possibility. Mm-hmm. But now we just got word that Captain America 4, the movie, has basically been announced almost like immediately after the season finale came out. Uh, it's going to follow a Falcon, Captain America, uh, with the same showrunners, Malcolm Spellman and Dallin Moosen. They're going to write the script. And uh, apparently it's going to be about three, four years from now where it should be coming out. So it doesn't seem like a Disney Plus series is going to happen. I assume what would have happened in season two is basically going to happen in that that show. So first off, what are your thoughts on that? I would be down for either or or even both. I mean, if a movie is not going to come out for three or four years, do you have space and time to perhaps do a four episode quick little show that you can release in 2022? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, and, and the weird thing that they also... Had number one, they reference in the episode Steve Rogers that he's on the moon. That's the second time in the series that they've mentioned that he's been on the moon. So I don't think that's accidental. Both times it's by government officials that have said that. And there are now rumors that Chris Evans will return to the MCU. I can do this all day. Yeah, I know. I know. In what capacity? I have no clue. We don't know if he's going to be part of this new movie. We don't know if he's going to be part of uh, Secret Invasion and all that kind of stuff. But he's possibly going to come back we don't know what for we don't even know if it's going to be as old cap we don't know if it's going to be as some sort of younger version of cap Uh, i I don't know but it feels like that with him coming back or possibly coming back that that shadow is going to weigh heavily on whatever sam wilson is going to be doing in the future one thing i've learned about disney especially when they've bought you know all of these properties never say never Mm. we're getting another indiana jones movie we saw the return of Han Solo and Luke Skywalker as characters. So the fact that Chris Evans, you know, had a great end to his role as Captain America by the end, I feel like there's always going to be room to bring him back in some capacity, whether it's a cameo, whether it's a fully fledged role, whether it's a standalone movie, whether he returns, you know, in in some capacity from a different multiverse as a different spin thought, on Captain America. I always thought Secret Wars would have been the perfect opportunity to bring yeah. him back. You know, like something from like a different universe. They're gonna fight each other out. Whatever it is, like yeah, something like off. that would have been fun. Yeah, different dimension, different alternate reality. Yeah, but I feel like it's gonna pull the rug out of Sam if they bring him back. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, we'll see what's gonna happen in the future. But uh, I don't know. Like, there's so many different possibilities for for the series going forward. Um, star rating best being five. Zero being the worst episode you've ever seen. Where does this land? 3.5. Yeah. Yeah, 3.5. Um, I think which is the lowest rating I've given to any episode this season. Yeah, I, I went like 3.75. That was like my my bottom that I kind of stuck with. And I feel like that's really where this hit as well. Uh, as far as the series rating goes, where, where did this end up being for you? So I looked back and I gave the majority of the episode a 3.75 rating and I feel like that's where I'm going to stand when it comes to the overall rating for the series like I said I thought it was good I looked forward to my Fridays watching a new episode I didn't feel it was great where I was like oh my god this something something so incredibly amazing happened I need to go to Twitter I need to know what the community is talking about and get involved in the conversation it never hit that level for me yeah I, I feel like the idea of like a visceral reaction from something that happened in the show I think that only happened maybe 
maybe like once or twice when John Walker had gotten the serum or the the, the death of, of of his partner. But I didn't feel like it really hit too many high points. And I know like I think the highest we've ever rated it, or I ever rated an episode was four point two five. For the most part, I was sticking around four for a lot of the times, especially early episodes. I was three point seven five. So I feel like three point seven five is the right call. It wasn't an A show. It was a B plus show for me. I'm happy with it. And also, I feel like our expe- expectations are always going to be so high with anything Disney does, whether it's Star Wars, whether mm-hmm. it's the MCU. And so, looking back, we have to always remember we're so lucky to be you know, living through this entire pandemic where we have new content, but also removing the pan- you know, removing the pandemic for a, sem- for a second. We've grown up with these amazing characters in comic books and like cartoon TV shows, animated TV shows. And yo, we're getting them in movies and like high yeah. production value like TV shows. This is awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's hard to really complain that it much. It really is. Yeah. And if, if this is like, you know, the low... Even though we just did. Yeah. <laughs> but if this show is kind of like the low bar of what we get, then I think we'll be fine moving forward. Yeah, exactly. If this is the worst it gets... Man, I'm happy. Yeah. This is like, it, it's been fantastic. And like, yeah, like you said, it's something to look forward to every single week. We're about to move on to a brand new series starting in June 11th. It's going to be six episodes of Loki. I, Loki, Prince of Asgard. Odinson. Starring Tom Hiddleston, and we know Owen Wilson's going to be a part of it. Man, I definitely want to talk about that because number one, from when they first initially announced all these shows that were coming out in 2021, that was always the one I was the most excited about. Mm-hmm. First off, it's going to be directed by Kate Heron, who has done a bunch of different shows. Sex Education, if you've seen it, is a fantastic show. She directed that. Um, we also ha- It's going to be written by Michael Waldron, who is a co-writer for Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. So number one, get excited for that. He's written on Community. He's written on Rick and Morty. He's got that pedigree for weird, funny stuff. And that's right up my alley. I'm so excited for this this show. Also, just as a quick little uh, synopsis for what's going to be happening with the show. After stealing the Tesseract during the events of Avengers Endgame, Loki is brought to the the mysterious Time Variance Authority organization and their timekeepers and is forced to fix several timelines he broke while traveling through time, altering human history, ending up trapped in his own crime thriller. Oh my god, that sounds amazing! That's amazing! I hadn't heard that synopsis before until you said it. Isn't that so good? That sounds incredible. Dude, I'm so excited for the show. Number one, you can do whatever you want. You can bring in whatever characters you want. You can exist in whatever world you want. And like, there's no end to the possibilities for the show. Yeah. It's almost like a, a big tease to a, a multiverse of madness because that's we know they're going to explore that full hilt. But I'm excited about Tom Hiddleston. I feel like just his portrayal as Loki has been one of my favorite performances, period, yep. in the entire MCU. Um, and the fact that he was introduced as a villain and then kind of, you know, became babyface at the end and now we have to go back to a moment in time when he was pure villain yeah. and almost see him if he would you know go through that whole experience and become a good guy again or if he actually ends up becoming a villain we don't we're not sure right now i mean the bigger thing is like what we learned about loki is that he on the inside and deep down he is a good dude right right and like sure he's going to make the wrong choices sometimes sure he's mischievous a lot of the times but at the end of the day is he going to make the right call for his like when the chips are on the table yeah he is going to do that and, and and also to mention that 
This isn't the first time that Owen Wilson, number one, I'm so excited to see Owen Wilson in an so MCU long, yeah. series. I feel like that's like such a, uh, such a like out of nowhere pick for a character like that. And on top of that, this isn't the first time that they've worked together. Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson were both in Midnight in Paris. If you haven't seen that, it's a movie from like, I think like 2008. It's fantastic. It's also related to time travel. So if you haven't seen it, number one, go out of your way. It's just, they do have a lot of chemistry. I'm super excited to see where they go with the series. And I think with those two hitting off each other, I think it's going to be like a home run, easy home run. Yeah, and, and I concur with everything you just said. This is definitely the show that I was looking forward to most. And um, I'm curious to see once we've, you know, the executives seen the reaction to both WandaVision and to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, are they able to make any final adjustments and tweaks in post-production? Because we still have like a solid like six weeks until this show drops in June. It's tough because the problem I, I, I do know about this show is they ended up having to pause production of the show because of COVID. Right. And then they ended up picking it back up in September and ended up wrapping in December. Mm. So they're kind of on a tight schedule anyways. Right. So uh, I, I'd be, I don't expect them to be like number one making changes this late into it. But number two, like, man, this was such a high-concept show. Yeah. I'm sure anything that they're doing is going to be very well thought out. Yeah, cosmic, not on Earth, I'm all about it. Absolutely. Yeah, again, this is the most excited I am for pretty much any project up until we get to, what, the Eternals later this year? Right. But, man, that is everything to do with the MCU. We're going to be basically taking a break from the MCU for a little bit because we're not getting anything until June 11th for that, for Loki. And then in July, we're getting Black Widow. Right. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a ton of movie reviews. We're still going to be hitting all the news. So keep checking that out. But speaking of the news, why don't we go into that right now? Let's do it. So first item I got is Zack Snyder's Justice League, one of HBO Max's most anticipated releases this year, didn't lead to any significant increase in subscriptions. Mm, interesting. I feel like that's like the RIP on the Snyderverse. Maybe it's because it's a movie that most people have already seen in terms of a storyline and just to kind of get a revamped version of it versus a brand... Like a, even though watching it, it, it almost is a brand new movie yeah. in many ways. Um, it's kind of like... A much better movie a too. A much better... Uh, a way, way, way better, better movie. movie. But um, like, listen, I really, I really feel like HBO Max is going to hit its stride when they have legitimate brand new movies like Dune, when Dune drops, oh my God, when Matrix 4 drops, oh my God, like that's one where you like, you have no idea, zero idea what's going to happen in the movie and, and how it's going to look like, what it's going to be portrayed like instead of a, here's a director's cut revamped version of a movie that you've kind of already seen. Yeah, you know what? Uh, what's interesting about that is how do you gauge at this point, like especially with something like Dune where they wanted it to be a franchise, how do you gauge uh, the potential box office appeal of a sequel for a movie that was initially released on a streaming service. Mm. Like, like, how do you know if Dune is going to be this box office smash if all you have is numbers based on a streaming service, which you have your subscribers and you have people who are interested in it, but maybe they're just watching because it was available. It's going to be fascinating to see what they do in terms of moving forward with a franchise like Dune. Like, yeah. it's, it's still bizarre to me. I can't believe this that this year Matrix 4 is going to be dropped on a streaming service. Yeah. Like, hopefully by then we're able to go to the cinema because they did make a point to say it'll be same day release. Yeah. So you can watch it at home or you could watch it in the theatre and hopefully by then we'll be watching it in the theatre, which yeah. is what I prefer. But I'm 
fascinated to see how that might impact the box office returns because yeah. how many families are at home right now thinking well I'm paying my 10 bucks a month for this why am I going to drop 100 bucks at the theatre with my kids where I can just order some takeaway or cook some food and we've talked about this before as well right mm. but it's wild to me still that these movies are going to be dropping on a streaming service madness yeah I, I also like that it actually kind of leads into the next story I was going to talk about anyways was if you haven't seen Mortal Kombat already, we are going to be talking about that next week. This week we got news that the Sub-Zero actor Joe Taslim has already signed on for four more Mortal Kombat movies if the first is a success. Right. Like I mentioned, like I already asked this before, but how do you even know if it's a success? How do you know if it's like a big enough success that you can really make sequels for a project like this to be released in movie theaters down the road? Well, you look at what they've done with the Monster Universe, right? With... Godzilla, King Kong, they obviously came together in, in you know, Godzilla versus Kong. I think about the overall line of verticals where you can have revenue streams. So you have your box office return, you have all your streaming platform subscriptions, and you have merchandise. And I feel like Mortal Kombat has so many characters. Yeah. It's such an interesting world, and it's got now, what, close to... 30 years of history, about 25 to 30 years of history, multiple generations of fans of the video game. I think like 11, 12 versions of the video game now. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a fascinating world, and I'm sure if they can make money, and again, if this is a success, maybe they can go into two or three more, four more movies. Who knows? Yeah. Okay, great. Well, reason for the call today, John, is something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. You got a minute? Next, we got Leonardo DiCaprio is set to star in an English remake of Another Round. If you're not familiar with Another Round, it literally just won the Oscar this past weekend for Best International Film. It's a Swedish movie. Uh, It's about four friends, all high school teachers, who test a theory that they will improve their lives by maintaining a constant level of alcohol in their blood. Sounds like a weird movie. I haven't seen the Another Round original yet, right. but uh, anything Leo does, I'm in. 100%, yeah. I mean, the guy doesn't miss. Yeah, he doesn't miss. And also, it's like, the concept like that, Like, I'm interested to see how they kind of play that against like the American sensibilities. I don't know. I feel like that could be a big win. It's also interesting to see that Leo is still... Like, whenever he does a remake these days, like you know he's going to knock it out of the park. Yeah. Like, Departed... Anything like that. He's really been knocking out of the park whenever he does touch a property like that. Next, we have Chris Nolan is in talks with Netflix about working with them after his severed relationship with Warner. I'm not surprised. I mean, this is the the hottest free agent. We've been talking about this for a while now. And we've seen the, I guess, freedom David Fincher has had with the Netflix relationship in terms of his show, his movie, the length, sign off a blank check for a budget. And so if Nolan's going to go into business with Netflix, he's going to get that same freedom. And I guess as a filmmaker, that's all you can ask for is the freedom and the money to go and do whatever you want. The only thing I think is like the way Chris Nolan makes movies is number one for movie theaters and uses the screen to the fullest extent. It, it would be almost like a complete left turn for him to go and make a movie that's designed to be either seen on a smaller screen like your TV or even your phone. Like, I, I imagine watching Tenet on your phone. Yeah, but maybe, I mean, we've had, we have seen net, some Netflix movies, you know, like, for example, theaters. The Irishman, yep. you know, got, got a, a theatrical run. Maybe, that, we don't know the details um, of what this relationship may look like right now, but maybe there's something in there where he gets, like, a, a six-week window 
and maybe it's you know listen netflix has killed at the oscars right maybe it's one of those things where as soon as you know the the movie has finished its theatrical run it hits netflix straight away yeah. and honestly like the part about netflix that's really really cool and what they've traditionally always gone for is to make sure they can get their hands on big releases in the theater as soon as they're available yeah right you know you look at something like the mcu one of the biggest reasons you love you're tuning into disney plus right now is watching all these amazing movies in the mcu and everybody else is kind of like all right well i've got all of christopher nolan's gonna franchise is gonna be here or his movie's gonna be here or whatever so yeah i'm down for it like at the end of the day this is the world we live in these streaming platforms are here to stay they're growing all the time they've got tons of money and you've got the the market leader right now which is still netflix killing it um so i'm down for it yeah it's kind of crazy that like he's he he's left warner because of an, uh, a situation with a streaming platform and now he's going to move on for completely different reasons yeah to another streaming platform but I think with the way that relationship ended and how they handled Tenant basically just doing it without having the conversation he probably felt betrayed yeah and he probably you know lost some trust whereas going into a relationship with a Netflix for example again maybe there's some you know interesting information that we can get from what this relationship looks like where maybe the details are hey I'm going to be able to release this movie as I want intended in IMAX or whatever the case may be yeah. for like three months. There, there's so much freedom that's associated with Netflix too. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like we don't know what he's going to be coming out with. Yeah. It could be a TV series for all we know, right? Like this could be a situation where you find he pivots away from what he's been doing for the past couple of years because he's been escalating that kind of Chris Nolan universe or genre of movies like to such a degree that it would be kind of cool to see him kind of scale it down a little bit. Yeah. Let's get into the last segment of the week. Let's get wrecked. Our weekly recommendation segment. Jamath, what's Sandu's pick for this week? Okay, so this is a show that I was avoiding for the longest time. And me and my wife decided to start watching it. And I'm kind of glad I'm now finally watching it. And it's The Crown. Mm. It's available on Netflix. It's essentially about the royal family. It starts with the queen right now becoming the queen um, in the, the late 40s. Um, there's a bit of pre, you know uh, prelude to that moment taking place in season one, but I've just finished season one. It's brilliant. It's it's really really well done. I'm not personally the biggest fan of the royal family myself, having grown up in the UK, but this show is just from a production value level is so well made. It's so well produced. It's no wonder for the last three or four years it's been winning so many different awards. So I'm at the end of season one. There's already four seasons in the can, so I've got three more seasons ahead of me. It's available on Netflix, and season five begins production in July. So this is a show that you can really get invested in, in for the long term. For Bra's pick, I ended up going with a movie I just mentioned earlier, Midnight in Paris, again starring Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston. Number one, it's a great little prelude for what we're going to get in terms of chemistry from Loki, but also at the same time, it's really well written, and you get to see a lot of fun different characters. We get to see uh, Tom Hiddleston is basically playing Scott Fitzgerald. And he's, you've got Zelda Fitzgerald in the show. We've got uh, a lot of different famous writers from across different times. And it's been really cool that they dive into history in a very unique way. It's not like a normal time travel movie. It's very, uh, it's almost like a very grounded approach to time travel, right? Uh, if that makes any sense. Once you watch it, it'll all make sense. And I think it's a great kind of foundation to see what we're going to get a little bit from Loki. But yeah, that's the show for the week. 
Tell me where can everybody find us? Uh, we are at Screen Off Script on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you would be doing us a great service and a great favor by rating and reviewing us. If you can do that, it'll help the show get found on that platform. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care. <laughs>